Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. Evening Time Sport, June 8th. Celtic getting screwed over again if they lose Edward to Leicester for less than £30 million, claims Parkhead Hero. Report by Mark Hendry. John Hartson believes Celtic will be getting screwed over if they lose Odson Edward for less than £30 million. Frenchman Edward has been on Leicester City's radar for a while, with former boss Brendan Rodgers reportedly hoping to get a deal done for around £18 million. The striker has netted 74 goals for the club over a three-season spell, and the Hoops hoped to rake in a hefty fee, having spent £9 million to bring him in from PSG who will also expect a massive chunk of his eventual price, thanks to a sell-on clause. Hartson reckons Celtic will be losing out on a lot of cash if he does indeed go for as little as £18 million, because he says he's worth a lot more. He tweeted, If Leicester get Edward for the reported £18 million, they will be getting a damn good player. In today's market, he is at least worth £30 million. Can't help think Celtic being screwed over again. Report by Mark Hendry Evening Times Sport, June 8 Steve Clark warns Scotland players of potential for Covid chaos. Report by Graeme McGarry Steve Clark has warned his Scotland players that COVID-19 is still a real threat ahead of the European Championships as he allowed them to return home for a short break with their families. The national team manager says that John Fleck testing positive for coronavirus while at the Scotland training camp in Spain, should serve as a reminder of how fragile the situation still is. There has also been huge disruption to Spain's preparations for the championships after their whole squad was placed into isolation following a positive test for Sergio Busquet, forcing them to pull out of their final warm-up match against Lithuania which was scheduled for tonight. Subsequently, Clark does not expect to see any of his players out on the town before the squad reconvene in Middlesbrough for the tournament proper. Said Clark, 
it is a bit of a respite for the players. I think it is important for a couple of days to let them go home and relax. It is just a break they need because it has been an intense period. With the COVID situation, it is better to let them go to their families rather than try to get the families to come to the team hotel or whatever. I think it is a good idea and we will reconvene on Wednesday night at our hotel at Rock Cliff and take it from there. It is safe for them to go home and spend time with their families. We don't expect to see any of them going out and about. We had six out of the Netherlands game last week, so they know how close that could still be. Since the start, when we brought football back, we have preserved the security around the COVID bubble. What happened last week was just an early reminder that the COVID was there. It's not going to go away this year. I don't think it will go away next year either. We have to learn to live with it. Report by Graeme McGarry Evening Times Sport, June 8 Dundee United's Tam Courts points to Brendan Rodgers and Michael Beale as coaches to take inspiration from. Reports by Mark Hendry Thomas Courts has pointed to former Celtic boss Brendan Rodgers and Rangers Michael Beale as coaches without a significant playing career who can inspire him to become a success at Dundee United. The 39-year-old was yesterday handed the reins at Tannadice following Mickey Mellon's departure at the end of the season. Fans have been somewhat divided over Court's promotion from within the club, having worked previously as their head of tactical performance. But he was quick to point out that, having previously managed Kelty Hearts in the junior ranks, he has more than 300 games in the bank as a boss. And he feels his lack of a playing career in the big time should also not be held against him, as he has the experience and tactical noose to achieve things for the Tangerines. During a grilling by David Tanner for the club website, Coates was asked about similarities between himself and Rogers, who also did not play the game at a high level, and he responded, It is an easy comparison to make, because these guys, without having the playing pedigree, have to invest so much of their life to coaching. From my perspective, when I got the job at Kelty Hearts at, at 32 years old, I was still playing. I was given the responsibility as manager, so I've now got 300 games under my belt as a manager. When you highlight people like Brendan or a Michael Beale at Rangers, it is easy to take a lot of confidence from their journeys because they have worked across quite a wide spectrum, really developed themselves, their skill set, coaching credentials, and I think that makes them more impactful 
when they're dealing with players, which is ultimately what we all want to do as coaches. Courts is a confident coach, and that's why he was never going to shy away from the fact that there may well be some sectates within the Arab support. Speaking honestly, he addressed the worries specifically. I think they actually have a point, he said. There's some similarities about how I was feeling about potentially getting this job and externally the fans thinking I potentially could be getting this job because there was no real point of reference. I'd never looked at a club of this size and stature appointing internally. The club are going on limited information. Fans are detached from their club through COVID regulations, so I can totally understand that from the fan base perspective. I have tried to harness that as a positive because it's been a good challenge to my temperament and mentality. And some of the reflections you have, you understand it. It's not going to be plain sailing all the time. So do I have the mentality to lead this club? drive it, lead it through maybe some tough times, because in competitive sport, tough times come. The reflections I have had, I feel really ready, and the fan reaction has given me the chance to reflect on that. Report by Mark Hendry. Evening Times Sport, June 8th. Stephen Whitaker reflects on Rangers title win and Champions League return. Report by Ian Collin. Stephen Whitaker helped give Rangers fans one of their best nights in Europe on the road to the UEFA Cup final in 2008 and is convinced his old club can embark on another long run in next season's Champions League. The Ibrox Club will return to the continent's premier competition for the first time in a decade when they enter the third qualifying round in early August. Whitaker admits no one would have envisaged back in 2011 just what would unfold for the light blues over the next 10 years, but he is thrilled to see them back as Scottish champions and preparing to mix it with Europe's best in the star-studded tournament. Rangers will be seeded and will need to negotiate just two ties to reach the lucrative group stages, and Whitaker has high hopes that Steven Gerrard's team can replicate some of the club's heroics of the recent past. He said, I suppose we would never even have expected what happened to Rangers after 2011 and then to take that long to get back, but that's just the way that it has unfolded. It is great to see them back there and winning titles again. That is what they are all about, and it is a pity that it took as long as it did. But obviously Stephen Gerrard has gone in there and done a fantastic job. He has got them playing some fantastic stuff. I really enjoyed watching them. It is good seeing them back where they belong. In the year we made the UEFA Cup final, 
We had the champions of France in Lyon, the German champions with Stuttgart, and then Barcelona. No one gave us a hope of getting through, and we went into the last game against Lyon needing just a draw to finish second. We lost and ended up in the UEFA Cup, but no matter who you come up against in the Champions League, it is a cliche, but it is 11 against 11, and you always have a chance. Rangers have shown over the past few years, with their results in Europe against some big teams, that they are more than capable of holding their own. Whitaker would rather forget Rangers' last flirtation with the glamour of the Champions League. His red card in the defeat to Malmo in 2011 for throwing the ball at Jimmy Dumas was a career low. But reflecting on his career after hanging up his boots to move into Peter Grant's coaching team at Dunfermline this summer, the 36-year-old's incredible Maisie solo effort to seal a 2-0 victory over Sporting in injury time in their 2008 UEFA Cup quarter-final brings back happier memories. He added, The red card in Malmo was a reaction to something, and it is a moment I learned a lot from. It cost the team that day, and I was so disappointed with myself. On reflection, it probably stopped me doing things like that more often. It was a high-profile game, and it was a learning experience for me, and one I was gutted with. But the goal against Sporting Lisbon is a special one for me. A lot of Rangers fans referred to the goal, and that night as one of the best nights following the club in Europe. That night was such a memorable night for me and for the club. I also scored in the semi-final against Fiorentina with one of the five penalties before Nacho Novo rolled in the winner to take us to the final. It was probably the most important penalty or kick I have ever faced. Barry Ferguson had missed the first penalty and the four of us behind him knew we had to score. After seeing Barry miss, I knew how important it was to score, so there was massive pressure on me. We thankfully got there in the end. Report by Ian Collin Evening Times Sport June 9 Dave King highlights the importance of fan boardroom influence at Rangers and Celtic. Report by Chris Jack. Dave King reckons the history of Rangers and current situation at Celtic highlight the importance of supporter involvement at boardroom level. The former Ibrox chairman has agreed a deal with Club 1872 that will see the fan organisation take on his major shareholding in RIFC PLC and look to move beyond the 25% share threshold. That would effectively give supporters a veto on all major boardroom decisions 
and ensure that Rangers could never find themselves in a repeat situation following the most tumultuous period in their history. King believes there are lessons to be learned across Glasgow and across the continent as he again emphasised the need for fans to have a say in how their clubs are run. Absolutely, King said when asked if the European Super League proposal underlined the importance of fans having a meaningful say in their clubs. There are a couple of things that reinforce it. We obviously have the history of Rangers, which was my cause for getting involved and my cause for wanting supporters involved. But if I look at what's happened on the other side of Glasgow in the last year alone, I think supporters are concerned they did not have a voice. When they felt they needed a voice, it was once again demonstrated they did not have one or not a meaningful voice. You also look at the Super League and what's happened with clubs down south. When clubs are being run in a different way and money is taking over past loyalties and tradition, I think it becomes increasingly important that supporters at least have a seat at the table and are not just dealing with it after the fact all the time. As we know, supporters can't change clubs. I think they are being dealt with very harshly in various circumstances because the boards of certain football clubs know the supporters are only shopping in one store. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport June 9 John Gilligan's Rangers Transfer Prediction Report by Chris Jack John Gilligan reckons Rangers could afford to lose two of their title-winning stars ahead of the defence of their Premiership crown next term. Stephen Gerrard will welcome Namdi Offobor and Fashion Sakala into his ranks when Rangers return for pre-season training in the coming weeks and step up their preparations for their Champions League return. The Ibrox board could have to fend off interest in a number of Gerrard's prized assets following a terrific campaign at home and abroad last time out and former director Gilligan knows there is a balance to be struck heading into a hugely significant title race given the European rewards available at the end of it. Gilligan said, It is massive, definitely. I think it will have a lot to do of how we hold the pool together. I think we get offers, a couple of players could go, but I think the squad is strong enough to be able to sell two players. You forget that this year we have Ryan Jack. If he can get through a pre-season and get fit, we only had half a season from him. If Katic can get fit, there is another player. Right from Aberdeen, I think with a pre-season in him, he could be a good player. We have offered more and Sakali coming in. We are okay. I think to be fair to the directors and the investors that we have, 
it was always the model to get to the point where if you look back at the first interviews that Dave King gave at the start, he said that we will lose money for three or four years, that it would take lots of money. People dismissed it, but he was right enough. He knew we would lose money. And Douglas Park, he and George Taylor and George Letham that funded it, they knew they had to fund it properly with loans to shares. You can't do that forever. So the model is right. The value of the squad, the proof is in the pudding when someone buys someone. But COVID apart, I think the value of the squad would have been even higher. Report by Chris Jack. Evening Times Sport, June 9. Dave King addresses Rangers' share deal and Malcolm Murray's Club 1872 board bid. Report by Chris Jack. Dave King insists his share deal with Club 1872 will not be impacted by Rangers' own rights issue, as he looks to hand over his majority stake to supporters in the coming years. King and Club 1872 arranged a £13 million blueprint in December that will see the fan organisation assume control of his shareholding in RIFC PLC and bid to move towards the 25% marker that would give them increased control at Ibrooks. Rangers have launched their own share initiative in an attempt to raise £6.75 million from supporters, but King is content with the situation regarding his club 1872 deal. He said, The position between myself and club 1872 remains the same. They certainly want to acquire the shares over time, and my understanding is their ambition remains the same. We had an agreement that because the club was raising funds for the first six months, they would initially support the club, which they have done, and we would suspend our agreement. But my understanding is that from July 1, the agreement I have in place with them will continue, and either they will raise the funds or they won't. I guess it's as simple as that. I have not yet seen the terms of the club's offer, but my understanding is that it would be at a higher price, which would make it less affordable for supporters. It is not an issue for me because at the end of the day, I can do this over a longer period of time. If it means that supporters get my shares plus additional shares from the club, then I'm happy to fulfil it as well. All I would do is make the period longer on my part. If the club came out and did it again at 20p, I would be saying to the supporters, give it to the club. I'll again suspend my deal with you because you're still acquiring shares. Then when that is over, come and get mine as well. It will just give more shares at the end of the day, which is ultimately what I think should be happening at all football clubs, not just Rangers. 
Club 1872 this week announced George Hogan, James Irvin, and former Ibrox chairman Malcolm Murray as the three nominations looking to earn two board positions in the latest round of elections. Murray served on the Rangers board during the ill-fated Charles Green era and was later involved in a war of words with the club over salary and bonus payments made to Green and former finance director Brian Stockbridge. King said, I was very surprised. I only saw the names in the past couple of days. James Irvin, I've met before. He was of some assistance to me when we were looking at unlocking some of the difficulties about regime change, some of the legal issues and Charles Green issues. The other candidate I don't know, but the one that most surprises me is Malcolm Murray. I am surprised, firstly, that Malcolm put his name forward, quite frankly, because I just can't imagine why supporters would vote for someone who was Charles Green's man, who was the chairman of the club at a time when these sports direct contracts were entered into. He was chairman of the club when they delivered it into the hands of Mike Ashley. All of the contracts we inherited and the fights we have had with Sports Direct and continue to have on a residual basis as well. All these shocking contracts that were put in place at a time when Malcolm Murray was chairman of the club, working for Charles Green at the time. In addition, Malcolm Murray was a negative in all the dealings I had in regime change and trying to get institutions on board. A lot of the work that Malcolm was doing behind the scenes was counterproductive to all of my efforts. I regard Malcolm Murray in my dealings with him as not a person to be associated with Rangers Football Club in any way whatsoever. I think he would be very negative. The supporters must decide it's their decision. But I would be very surprised, given his history, if any supporter would vote for him. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times, June 9 The story of the unofficial Celtic team who played in Glasgow's Easter House. Report by Anne Fotheringham Back in the late 60s and early 70s, Joseph Totten recalls playing in a football team at St Benedict's Chapel in Easterhouse. Now his daughter Tracy is hoping to track down some of her dad's former teammates and any old photos she can find. She laughs. My dad cannot remember the name of the team, which obviously doesn't help but he remembers it was around 1969-1970 and it was an unofficial Celtic team who played at St Benedict's. He's trying to track down the photos that were taken after the games and he really regrets not getting any copies at the time or signatures. It is something that is really close to his heart and I wonder if times past could help. It's his birthday soon, and I love to surprise him. 
Can you help Tracy? Glasgow is full of youth and amateur teams in the 60s and 70s, many of which no longer exist. We would love to hear your stories and memories of those clubs. Get in touch and let us know if you can help Tracy and Joseph. Email ann.furringham, F-O-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-H-A-M, at glasgotimes.co.uk or write to Anne Fotheringham, Glasgow Times, 125 Fullerton Drive, Glasgow, G32 8F for Freddy, G for George. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Evening Times Sport, June 10. Alex McLeish says, Time has come for Scotland to inspire a generation with Euro's endeavours. Scotland, as a football team and a country, has waited too long to return to a major finals, but that absence is now finally at an end. The Tartan army have been missed from tournament after tournament for the last 23 years, and it will be great to see them back albeit not in the numbers and manner in which we would like. In the matches against the Czech Republic, England and Croatia, this will be a wonderful time for Scottish football. It has been a tough, tough two decades for us. You can look at different factors, such as the Bosman era, and find the different reasons why our game fell away and why we fell short. When players were coming in from abroad, that curtailed the development of younger players and you could cite the fall in street football, which was how so many of our great players learned their trade, as another reason why we could not bring through the required quality of player. There were some good teams that missed out on getting us back to a major finals. Craig Levine had a good squad and I inherited a great squad from Walter Smith. But you look at the number of players we now have playing in the Premier League, the strongest league in the world, and that has enhanced the strength of the national team. For a number of years, we relied on a core of Celtic players that were having a fantastic time domestically and performing in Europe. But now that is augmented by players from down south, you have the likes of Nathan Patterson and Billy Gilmer coming in as well, and the future does look bright for Scotland again. During my second spell in charge, it was tough at times to get a nucleus of players and build that momentum to take forward, and for me, that is something that has evolved these days and there are a number of guys that are playing at a very high level. When I look back at my second stint as manager, I am proud of the victory that we achieved in the Nations League and that turned out to be massively important in terms of getting Scotland to where they are now. In the games against Albania and Israel, who are a tough nut to crack, 
I think that was the only time I could select the same team. They were two fabulous performances and the result, to get us through to the playoffs, was the only thing that mattered. I wouldn't be human if I didn't wish that it was me that was leading Scotland to the Euros this summer. That was always my ambition, but it just wasn't to be, unfortunately. I sacrificed myself during that spell. I got a lot of criticism and I tried things such as playing Kieran Tierney at left centre back and Andy Robertson at left back that had to be done. At the end of the day, as I have said before, a lot of what I did and had to do was very experimental. I didn't want to say I was going to be a sacrificial lamb. Of course I would have loved to be taking the guys to the Euros, but Steve Clark has come in and completed the job, and it has been a fabulous job that he has done. I have always been a big admirer of Steve. Having waited so long to get back to this stage, Scotland must now ensure that this is not a one-off experience. We have to make the most of this opportunity now. If you are a young kid tuning in to watch Scotland at her finals for this first time, you have to be inspired by what these players are doing and what they have achieved for their country. The Scottish League has grown in recent years and you look at how well Rangers have done in the Europa League under Stephen Gerrard and what that has done for the standing of our game. We know we are still a smaller nation with a smaller league and we are going to be dwarfed by some of the other divisions given their financial resources and their reach. But we can only focus on improving ourselves and we are in a good moment right now when you see the talents that we have been playing for the national team. There is more of a spread throughout the squad. You look at Declan Gallagher from Motherwell coming in and doing well, and players that are performing in the Premiership are competing with Premier League players for a jersey now. We need to be competing at this level as often as possible and we need our players to be playing at the highest level possible. Look at Andy Robertson. He is a world-class defender. If you look at all the left-backs in the world, he would probably be in the top 10 and he could get into most teams in Europe. You have Scott McTominay whom I spoke about the other week ahead of the Europa League final, doing so well for Manchester United and really coming on in recent years. He was their best player in the defeat to Villarreal and that is the kind of level that we now have players operating at. What a player he is and is going to be. John McGinn was a precocious talent at St Mirren. He was a star at Hibs and now Aston Villa cannot leave him out of the team. Steve Clark cannot leave him out either 
And our boys up here have to take inspiration from that and really push themselves on to achieve greater things for club and country. What an opportunity these players have over the next few weeks. This moment has been a long time coming and I wish them well and the best of luck, says Alex McLeish. Evening Time Sport, June 10. Dominic Mackay finally breaks silence on Celtic transition. Report by Mark Hendry. Dominic Mackay has finally broken his silence on his transition to taking over from Peter Lowell as Celtic Chief Executive. The former Scottish Rugby Union Chief joins Parkhead officially on July 1, but was brought to the club early to learn from Lowell and get a head start on the job with a mammoth summer rebuild expected. That rebuild included the hiring of a new manager, which was confirmed this morning that Ange Postecoglou will take the reins as boss following the resignation of Neil Lennon earlier this season. Hoops fans have been frustrated at the lack of communication from their club since the campaign ended, but Mackay, while unveiling Postecoglou, was also briefly asked about his own beginnings in the role, and he revealed how he has coped with the move so far, as well as key plans for the future that he and the new manager will take into consideration moving forward. Mackay revealed in a Celtic TV interview, the transition over the past four or five weeks has been great. I have had a chance to meet some of the team here at Celtic, both at Celtic Park and Lennox Town, and the passion people have for this great club is really impressive. My job when I start on July 1 is to lead this great club and bring us back to success. One of the things I have been doing over the last few weeks as part of the transition is speaking with as many people as I can across the whole club, from top to bottom, getting a sense of the challenges we face, but also the opportunities, and there's no doubt that there's some incredible work has been done, as been evidenced by Peter and the whole executive team and all the staff in creating unprecedented success in the last number of years. We had a disappointing season, of course we have. My challenge is to pick ourselves back up again and get us focused on the years ahead. To do that, in all high performance environments, you need to evolve, whether that's on the football side academy side or business side. That's my mission, to start evolving all areas that we need to evolve and building on the solid platform to make sure that this club remains as successful as it deserves to be for the years ahead. Mackay played a key role in bringing Greek-born Australian coach Postecoglou to Parkhead and he insisted that a major factor in the decision to hire the former Yokohama F. Marinos manager 
was their shared vision, both on and off the pitch. And he explained that, with some massive European qualifiers on their way, the pair will have a job on their hands in terms of recruitment and the overhaul of playing staff, which is expected, though they have already discussed potential tra transfer targets. Mackay added, We have a shared vision, and that was really important to me, that the new manager would have bought into the modernising, the evolution and development of the club, both on and off the field. In terms of his style of play, I think he will excite the fans. In terms of communication, I think he will be great at engaging supporters. And his philosophy, which is born out of international level with World Cups and in winning competitions, I wanted a winner and I am delighted to secure him. We've got the challenges of the COVID environment which everyone is dealing with. As soon as we possibly can get him into the country, he's keen to meet up with the team and start working and rebuilding the squad for the seasons ahead. So it will be a little bit of time yet, but you can be rest assured people are moving heaven and earth to get him into the country as soon as we possibly can. We spent a lot of time talking through the playing side, the coaching side, footballing operations, and it would be fair to say that his phone has been busy over the last number of weeks, and I am excited that we are getting information across to him to make decisions and give us feedback on all the various aspects you can expect us to consider ahead of the new season. Talking recruitment in particular, plans for the season ahead, we are very active in that regard. We know there are some important fixtures coming up and we want to make sure the team is in the best shape it can be, so I am sure Ange will share more information with supporters as soon as we can. Report by Mark Hendry Evening Time Sport, June 11 Green Brigade blast Celtics unfit-for-purpose boardroom with banner outside Parkhead. Report by Mark Hendry The Green Brigade have aimed another pop at the board members they claim are unfit-for-purpose. We told how the fan group have slaughtered the boardroom for the past number of weeks with banners outside the stadium highlighting how long it took to bring in Neil Lennon's managerial replacement. Now they have taken a swipe at Dermot Desmond, majority shareholder, incoming chief executive Dominic Mackay and chairman Ian Banker, among others. Sharing a photo of their new banner which says, A board like no other and has pictures of members crossed out. North Curve Celtic on social media wrote, Dermot Desmond, Ian Banker, Dom Mackay, Brian Wilson, Thomas Allison, Sharon Brown, Chris Mackay, Michael Nicholson, 
a board unfit for purpose. Their accusations come just one day after Anja Postikoglu was appointed new manager at the club. Report by Mark Hendry Evening Times Sport, June 9 Nick Roger says Lexi Thompson's United States Women's Open Collapse was excruciating. Those of you who regularly tune in to the live golf on the television have probably noticed those titillating adverts for a variety of amorously adventurous accoutrements aimed at those sprightly viewers who clearly have more on their minds during the interval than a cup of tea and a custard cream. The passionate promotions offer up a spectacularly absurd and saucy juxtaposition that should be accompanied by a Sid James cackle. One minute, for instance, you could be watching Kevin Streelman sizing up a tricky eight-footer down the slope. The next, you're being encouraged to purchase some whips and blindfolds for the bedroom. This correspondent, of course, is far too professional to be distracted by such adverts for arousing apparatus. And anyway, I always thought an erogenous zone was the spot where you took relief after duffing your ball into the water hazard. All of which brings us awkwardly into these weekly musings. If some of you think glimpsing those aforementioned commercials makes for uncomfortable viewing, then Lexi Thompson's collapse at the United States Women's Open on Sunday was as excruciating as using one of those bloomin' mail-order whips, or so I'm led to believe. With a four-shot lead on the back nine of the late course at the Olympics Club, Thompson's assault on a second major title endured a grisly unravelling as she spluttered to the finishing line and didn't even make the playoff. It was hands over the eyes, yet compelling stuff. The ongoing and wearying social media piffle involving Brooks Koepka and Bryson DeChambeau may be generating internet hits and giggles, but the conclusion of the United States Women's Open was genuine content worth watching. That 19-year-old Yuka Sazo recovered from two early double bogeys to eventually win spoke volumes for her unwavering mental fortitude and the enduring reliability of her swing under intolerable pressure. On the other hand, Thompson's game, technically and mentally, seemed to get so loose it was as if someone had untightened the various fixtures and fittings with an Allen key. Sound familiar? Her crumble, at least, put her in a shimmering pantheon. Back in the 1966 United States Open at the same venue, Arnold Palmer saw a seven-shot lead evaporate on the back nine. It was a sore one to stomach, but he already had seven majors on his glory-laden resume to soften the blow.
Thompson has just the one. She knows how to win a major, but that was seven years ago. She was only 19 at the time, and with six top three finishes and various agonising near misses since then, the painful passing of each opportunity must deepen the old wounds. The phrase choker is one of sport's run-of-the-mill epithets, and poor old Lexi, not for the first time, was labelled with this dreaded C word, even though she is a proven winner. In golf, of course, lapses and occasional collapses are almost woven into the very fabric of this mystifying, unpredictable and cruel game. The best thing about it? I have a tournament next week, so we'll take it from there, said a hurting yet philosophical Thompson of her search for swift redemption. Sasso, meanwhile, was the second teenage winner at the weekend, with 17-year-old Paya Babnik conquering on the ladies' European tour in France, seven days after 18-year-old Lucy Malchirand won on the same circuit in Italy. The 50-year-old Phil Mickelson may have struck a blow for golf's golden oldies recently, but on the female front, it's a young woman's game just now. And another thing, if you are in the vicinity of Hamden Park, then you'll have noticed the ring of protective steel around its perimeter ahead of the European Championships which makes it all look about as welcoming as the walls of Berlin. Those actually going to the matches will be in for, quite literally, a sanitised experience of rigid, joyless protocols. But that's the way of the Covid world. The reaction then that greeted John Ram's removal from the memorial tournament at the weekend was all rather ridiculous. The Spaniard was leading by six when informed after round three that he had returned a positive test for COVID-19 and, as a result, had to be withdrawn. The news was broken to Ram very publicly live on air, which at least made for terrific breaking news footage and probably gave his player impact programme rating a huge boost. It later transpired that Ram had not been vaccinated while, as he was asymptomatic, many roared that he should have been allowed to play on as a single in the final round. Jimmy Walker, the 2016 US PGA champion, was a loud advocate saying, John should play Sunday, by himself if need be, period. I can't get behind this decision. Such a robust reaction, though, was simply at odds with the real world and made some in golf look like a bunch of blinkered, foot-stamping brats. It was not a good image. Golf's strict, effective and expensive Covid procedures allowed the main tours to continue playing while everything around them crashed to a standstill. At the drop of a hat, though, Walker and others seemingly wanted to bin the very rules and regulations that have kept them safe 
and allowed them to do their jobs. They would do well to remember that, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, June 10. McCubbin ready for Commonwealth title bout after near two-year layoff. Report by Graeme McPherson. Ayrshire men fighting in car parks is a story usually found on the front rather than back pages of a newspaper, but not this time. A week after his friend and teammate Calvin McCord extended his unbeaten run at the same venue, it is Neil Wee Cubby McCubbin's turn tonight for a spot of alfresco boxing. Looking to circumnavigate stringent COVID guidelines that for so long made planning indoor events impossible, promoter Dennis Hobson took the imaginative step of creating a boxing venue in the car park of the Sheffield Arena. Screened by new online boxing channel Fight Zone, it will provide the perfect platform for McCubbin to get back in the ring after a 21-month absence. The Drongan boxer not only gets to shake off some rust when he squares up to Matt Windle on the headline event, but he does so with a Commonwealth title on the line in his just sixth professional bout. The light flyweight belt has been vacant since 1987 and not been held by a British fighter for 119 years. Given his understandable frustration at not being able to compete for so long, McGubbin's enthusiasm ahead of this opportunity is spilling over. I'm really looking forward to it as it's been a long time coming, said the Kinnock boxing fighter. I'm ready to put on a show. To be out of the ring for nearly two years and come straight back to fight for a title is exactly what I needed. It's without a doubt the biggest fight of my career so far. Going forward, if I win this, then it will open up a lot of doors for me. I could be potentially just a couple more fights away from competing for a world title which would just be incredible. When you look at it that way, this is a massive moment for me. It is my first time fighting out of Scotland and first time at an outdoor arena like this one. But I have been watching some of the earlier shows and it does look like a really good setup. At least the fact it's outside reduces any risks as it's not like you're all crammed together in a wee hall like before, when it was always really clammy. It will be fresh, and the weather is to be good, so I'm looking forward to it. Hats off to the promoters. They've had to be a bit more imaginative to get fights on again, and they've pulled it out of the bag. I am looking forward to getting out there and seeing what it's all about. Calvin told me all about it from his fight, so it sounds like it will be a good experience. A small travelling band of friends and family will be ringside 
having travelled down from Ayrshire, and McCubbin expects he won't have any difficulties hearing them in the crowd. He laughed. I've got a few folk coming down, so there will be one or two mad Scots in among the Sheffield crowd. I know for a fact they'll be making themselves heard, so it will be good to have a bit of backing for my first fight outside Scotland. A few of them were talking about making a weekend of it, so I'd imagine it could be pretty wild. I just hope the bars are well stopped. McCubbin is still juggling the demands of a professional boxer with his full-time job as a spray painter with Volkswagen. He added, they have been great with me and I always get the time off when I need it for sparring or competing. It's not too bad that way. It's tough trying to marry the two of working and training, but I'm in a routine now and I'm used to it. To be honest, I'm one of these people who's always up and about. I just like being constantly on the go. And it definitely makes it easier having a fight date to aim for. You just get your head down and know that you're working towards something. The light flyweight division has a 108 pound or 7 stone 10 limit and making that weight naturally brings its own challenges. Admitted McCubbin, it's definitely been hard to keep the weight down, but I know on the night I'll be fresher and the bigger man in the ring. It's just one of the sacrifices you have to make at this level, but I'm confident it will all be worthwhile. If I win, I'd like to defend the belt a couple of times and then see what's next for me after that. Report by Graham McPherson. Evening Time Sport, June 11. Glasgow Warriors Leon Nakarawa facing uncertain future as Ulster move falls through. Report by David Barnes. Leon Nakarawa's proposed move to Ulster next season has fallen through after the former Glasgow Warriors star failed a medical with the Irish province. The recruitment of the 33-year-old Fijian back five forward was announced by Ulster in January as a like-for-like -like replacement for Marcel Kutsi who is returning to his native South Africa next season on a three-year deal to play for the Bulls. But Nakarawa, who was a superstar for Glasgow Warriors during his first spell at the club between 2013 and 2016, has not been the player he was in his prime since at least as far back as the 2019 World Cup. A club spokesperson said, We can today confirm that, on receipt of a detailed medical report, following an examination by the club at the weekend, Leon Nakarawa will no longer be joining Ulster Rugby for next season. This outcome is disappointing for both the player and Ulster Rugby. However, we will continue to build strongly with our preparations for next season. 
We wish Leon the very best for the future. Further updates on the 21-22 season squad will be released in due course. Nakarawa was voted European Player of the Year in 2018, but was fired by Racing 92 in December 2019 after returning late to the club following the World Cup, at which point he was accused of a total lack of team spirit and marked insubordination and of abandoning his post. Glasgow Warriors threw him a career lifeline in January 2020 when they brought him back to Scotston on a short-term deal to the end of the season. And despite managing just three appearances during the remainder of the 2019-20 campaign, he still managed to pick up a year-long contract extension last summer. However, he was late returned to Scotland from Fiji after lockdown and badly out of shape when he did turn up. He has managed just three starts and four bench appearances this season and has not featured since playing the final 19 minutes of the team's lacklustre 46-19 loss at the start of their Rainbow Cup campaign in April. He has not been injured, just did, did not merit selection ahead of Scott Cummings, Rob Harley, Richie Gray and Kieran MacDonald. Nakarawa is out of contract at Glasgow this summer. It is not clear what his next step will be or even if he will choose to stay in professional rugby. Report by David Barnes. Evening Times Sport, June 11. Kevin Thompson's delight at Nathan Patterson's remarkable rise for Rangers and Scotland. Report by Chris Jack. Kevin Thompson has backed Nathan Patterson to make the most of his opportunity with Scotland just like he did during his breakthrough season at Rangers. Patterson earned himself a place in Steve Clark's squad for the European Championships after a series of eye-catching performances in the Premiership and Europa League this term. The 19-year-old has long been tipped for a bright future in the game and Thompson, the former Ochenhaui youth coach who is now manager of Kelty Hearts, knows Patterson has all the attributes to take him to the very top. Thompson told the Essential Scottish Football podcast, I had Nathan at 18s with Davey McCallum, and I will always sit here and say that it was our job to help these players develop. I don't want any pat on the back for Nathan, I only came across him for a limited time within the academy. He is a great boy. He was another one that sent me a nice message when I got the Kelty job. You appreciate them, they appreciate you. I am just desperate for the boys to do well, delighted for him. He is a serious talent. I did two or three years ago tell everyone that he was like a young Alan Hutton and Stephen Whitaker. He got a wee bit of luck 
which every young player needs, and we got that ourselves at Hibs when we got our opportunity. You have to grasp that opportunity and be good enough to stay there. You sometimes need a bit of rub over the green or luck, and he got that with Tavernier being injured. He is a difficult one to try and push out with how great a season he had. He has gone in and went from strength to strength to strength to strength. I think a lot of people will be excited to see where his journey can take him. And I, for everyone, am his biggest fan. Report by Chris Jack From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 14th of June 2021, from the sports section, Grant Hanley makes England positivity vow, a Scotland deal with Czech defeat. By Christopher Jack, Senior Rangers writer. Grant Hanley has backed Scotland to respond in the right manner as they attempt to salvage their Euro dreams against England at Wembley. Steve Clark's side make the trip to London on Friday evening with their place in the Championships under threat after a lacklustre showing during their Group D defeat to the Czech Republic. With a home clash against Croatia to come on match day three, Scotland face the old enemy in desperate need of a result to kickstart their first major finals campaign in 23 years. And defender Hanley knows they must pick themselves up and dust themselves down in the aftermath of a demoralising defeat at Hamden on Monday afternoon. It's a disappointing result for us, and it's a quick turnaround, Hanley said. But that's tournament football. There are three games in the group stage, and we know what we've got to do to react. The points and the goal remain the same. We've got to take the positives. There are plenty of positives to take from today. So that will be the outlook. Keep looking to improve and keep looking to get better. Look forward to next week. Well, it's a big occasion. We know that the country have been waiting for this for a long time. And I thought the lads approached the game in a positive manner. I thought we were on the front foot. I thought we brought our personality onto the pitch. We conceded two goals that were probably a bit of quality. Although, at the same time, they could have been avoided. We'll learn from that and we'll keep moving forward. We're playing England at Wembley in the Euros. So what more motivation do you need? It's definitely a game we're looking forward to. It's the old cliche, you've got to play the game, not the occasion. We'll be prepared and we'll be positive. That's the way we'll go into it. And that piece was by Christopher Jack. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.